0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Chapter 87. The Grand Armada. Part 1. The long and narrow peninsula of Malacca, extending southeastward from the territories of Burma, forms the most southerly point of all Asia. In a continuous line from that peninsula, stretch the long islands of Sumatra, Java, Bali, and Timor, which, with many others, form a vast mole or a rampart lengthwise connecting Asia with Australia, and dividing the long unbroken Indian Ocean from the thickly-studded Oriental archipelagos. This rampart is pierced by several sally ports, for the convenience of ships and whales, conspicuous among which are the Straits of Sunda and Malacca. By the Straits of Sunda, chiefly vessels bound to China from the west emerge into the China Seas. Those narrow Straits of Sunda divide Sumatra from Java, and standing midway in that vast rampart of islands, buttressed by that bold green promontory known to seamen as Java Head, they not a little correspond to the central gateway opening into some vast walled empire. And considering the inexhaustible wealth of spices and silks and jewels and gold and ivory with which the thousand islands of that oriental sea are enriched, it seems a significant provision of nature that such treasures, by the very formation of the land, should at least bear the appearance, however ineffectual, of being guarded from the all-grasping western world." The shores of the Straits of Sunda are unsupplied with those domineering fortresses which guard the entrances to the Mediterranean, the Baltic, and the Propontis. Unlike the Danes, these Orientals do not demand the obsequious homage of lowered topsails from the endless procession of ships before the wind, which for centuries past, by night and day, have passed between the islands of Sumatra and Java, freighted with the costliest cargoes of the East but while they freely waive a ceremonial like this, they do by no means renounce their claim to more solid tribute. Time out of mind, the piratical proas of the Malays, lurking among the low-shaded coves and islets of Sumatra, have sallied out upon the vessels sailing through the straits, fiercely demanding tribute at the point of their spears though by the repeated bloody chastisements they have received at the hands of European cruisers, the audacity of these corsairs has of late been somewhat repressed. Yet, even at the present day, we occasionally hear of English and American vessels, which, in those waters, have been remorselessly boarded and pillaged. With a fair, fresh wind, the Pequod was now drawing nigh to these straits. Ahab purposing to pass through them into the Javan Sea, and thence cruising northwards over waters known to be frequented here and there by the sperm whale, sweep inshore by the Philippine Islands, and gain the far coast of Japan, in time for the great whaling season there. By these means, the circumnavigating Pequod would sweep almost all the known sperm whale cruising grounds of the world, previous to descending upon the line in the Pacific, where Ahab though everywhere else, foiled in his pursuit, firmly counted upon giving battle to Moby Dick, in the sea he was most known to frequent, and at a season when he might most reasonably be presumed to be haunting it. But how now? In this zoned quest does Ahab touch no land? Does his crew drink air? Surely he will stop for water. Nay. For a long time now the circus-running sun has raced within his fiery ring and needs no sustenance but what's in himself. So Ahab. Mark this, too, in the whaler. While other hulls are loaded down with alien stuff to be transferred to foreign wharves, the world-wandering whale ship carries no cargo but herself and crew, their weapons and their wants. She has a whole lake's contents bottled in her ample hold, she is ballasted with utilities, not altogether with unusable pig-lead and kentledge. She carries years' water in her, clear old prime Nantucket water, which, when three years afloat, the Nantucketer in the Pacific prefers to drink before the brackish fluid, but yesterday rafted off in casks from the Peruvian or Indian streams. Hence it is, that while other ships may have gone to China from New York and back again, touching at a score of ports, the whaleship, in all that interval, may not have sighted one grain of soil, her crew having seen no man but floating seamen like themselves. So that did you carry them the news that another flood had come? They would only answer, Well, boys, here's the ark. Now... As many sperm whales have been captured off the western coast of Java, in the near vicinity of the Straits of Sunda, indeed, as most of the ground round about was generally recognized by the fishermen as an excellent spot for cruising, therefore, as the Pequod gained more and more upon Java Head, the lookouts were repeatedly hailed and admonished to keep wide awake. But... Though the green palmy cliffs of the land soon loomed on the starboard bow, and with delighted nostrils the fresh cinnamon was snuffed in the air, yet not a single jet was described. Almost renouncing all thought of falling in with any game hereabouts, the ship had well nigh entered the straits. When the customary cheering cry was heard from aloft, and ere long a spectacle of singular magnificence saluted us. But here be it premised that owing to the unwearied activity with which of late they have been hunted over all four oceans, the sperm whales, instead of almost invariably sailing in some small detached companies, as in former times, are now frequently met with in extensive herds, sometimes embracing so great a multitude that it would almost seem as if numerous nations of them had sworn solemn league and covenant for mutual assistance and protection. To this aggregation of the sperm whale into such immense caravans may be imputed the circumstance that even in the best cruising grounds you may now sometimes sail for weeks and months together without being greeted by a single spout and then be suddenly saluted by what sometimes seems thousands on thousands. Broad on both boughs, at the distance of some two or three miles, and forming a great semicircle, embracing one half of the level horizon, a continuous chain of whale jets were up playing and sparkling in the noonday air. Unlike the straight, perpendicular twin jets of the right whale, which, dividing at top, fall over into two branches, like the cleft, drooping boughs of a willow, the single forward slanting spout of the sperm whale presents a thick, curled bush of white mist, continually rising and falling away to leeward. Seen from the Pequod's deck, then, as she would rise on a high hill of the sea, this host of vapory spouts, individually curling up into the air, and beheld through a blending atmosphere of bluish haze, showed like the thousand cheerful chimneys of some dense metropolis... Described on a balmy autumnal morning "'by some horsemen on a height. "'As marching armies approaching "'an unfriendly defile in the mountains "'accelerate their march, "'all eagerness to place that perilous passage "'in their rear and once more expand "'in comparative security upon the plain. "'Even so did this vast fleet of whales "'now seem hurrying forward through the straits, "'gradually contracting the wings of their semicircle, and swimming on, in one solid, but still, crescentic center. Crowding all sail, the Pequod pressed after them, the harpooners handling their weapons, and loudly cheering from the heads of their yet suspended boats. If the wind only held, little doubt had they, that chase through these straits of Sunda, the vast host would only deploy into the oriental seas to witness the capture of not a few of their number, and who could tell whether, in that congregated caravan, Moby Dick himself might not temporarily be swimming, like the worshipped white elephant in the coronation procession of the Siamese. So, with stunned sail piled on stunned sail, we sailed along, driving these leviathans before us, when, of a sudden, the voice of Tashtigo was heard, loudly directing attention to something in our wake, Corresponding to the crescent in our van, we beheld another in our rear. It seemed formed of detached white vapors, rising and falling, something like the spouts of the whales. Only they did not so completely come and go, for they constantly hovered without finally disappearing. Leveling his glass at this sight, Ahab quickly revolved in his pivot hole, crying, "'Aloft there, and rig whips and buckets to wet the sails. Malays, sir, and after us.' "'As if too long lurking behind the headlands "'till the Pequod should fairly have entered the straits, "'these rascally Asiatics were now in hot pursuit "'to make up for their over-cautious delay. "'But when the swift Pequod, with a fresh leading wind, "'was herself in hot chase,' how very kind of these tawny philanthropists to assist in speeding her on to her own chosen pursuit, mere riding-whips and rowels to her that they were. As with glass under arm, Ahab to and fro paced the deck, in his forward turn beholding the monsters he chased, and in the after one the bloodthirsty pirates chasing him, some such fancy as the above seemed his. And when he glanced upon the green walls of the watery defile in which the ship was then sailing, and bethought him that through that gate lay the route to his vengeance, and beheld how that through that same gate he was now both chasing and being chased to his deadly end, and not only that, but a herd of remorseless wild pirates and inhuman devils were infernally cheering him on with their curses. When all these conceits had passed through his brain, Ahab's brow was left gaunt and ribbed like the black sand beach after some stormy tide has been gnawing it without being able to drag the firm thing from its place. But thoughts like these troubled very few of the reckless crew. And when, after steadily dropping and dropping the pirates astern, the Pequod at last shot by the vivid green Cockatoo Point on the Sumatra side, emerging at last upon the broad waters beyond, then the harpooners seemed more to grieve that the swift whales had been gaining upon the ship than to rejoice that the ship had so victoriously gained upon the Malays. But still, driving on in the wake of the whales, At length they seemed abating their speed. Gradually the ship neared them, and the wind now dying away, word was passed to spring to the boats. But no sooner did the herd, by some presumed wonderful instinct of the sperm whale, become notified of the three keels that were after them, though as yet a mile in their rear, than they rallied again, and forming in close ranks and battalions so that their spouts all looked like flashing lines of stacked bayonets, moved on with redoubled velocity. Stripped to our shirts and drawers, we sprang to the white ash, and after several hours pulling, were almost disposed to renounce the chase, when a general pausing commotion among the whales gave animating token that they were now at last "'under the influence of that strange perplexity "'of inert irresolution, "'which, when the fishermen perceive it in the whale, "'they say he is gallied. "'The compact martial columns "'in which they had been hitherto rapidly and steadily swimming "'were now broken up in one measureless rout, "'and like King Porus's elephants "'in the Indian battle with Alexander, "'they seemed going mad with consternation.' in all directions expanding in vast irregular circles and aimlessly swimming hither and thither, by their short thick spoutings they plainly betrayed their distraction of panic. This was still more strangely evinced by those of their number who, completely paralyzed as it were, helplessly floated like waterlogged dismantled ships on the sea. Had these leviathans been but a flock of simple sheep, Pursued over the pasture by three fierce wolves, they could not possibly have evinced such excessive dismay. But this occasional timidity is characteristic of almost all herding creatures. Though banding together in tens of thousands, the lion-maned buffaloes of the West have fled before a solitary horseman. Witness, too, all human beings, how when herded together in the sheepfold of a theater's pit, they will at the slightest alarm of fire rush helter-skelter for the outlets, crowding, trampling, jamming, and remorselessly dashing each other to death. Best, therefore, withhold any amazement at the strangely gallied whales before us, for there is no folly of the beasts of the earth which is not infinitely outdone by the madness of men. Though many of the whales, as has been said, were in violent motion, Yet it is to be observed that as a whole the herd neither advanced nor retreated, but collectively remained in one place. As is customary in those cases, the boats at once separated, each making for some one lone whale on the outskirts of the shoal. In about three minutes' time, Queequeg's harpoon was flung, the stricken fish, darted blinding spray in our faces, and then, running away with us like light, steered straight for the heart of the herd though such a movement on the part of the whale struck under such circumstances, is in no wise unprecedented, and indeed is almost always more or less anticipated. Yet does it present one of the more perilous vicissitudes of the fishery. For as the swift monster drags you deeper and deeper into the frantic shoal, you bid adieu to circumspect life, and only exist in a delirious throb. As, blind and deaf, the whale plunged forward, as if by sheer power of speed to rid himself of the iron leech that had fastened to him, as we thus tore a white gash in the sea, on all sides menaced as we flew by the crazed creatures to and fro rushing about us. Our beset boat was like a ship mobbed by ice isles and a tempest, and striving to steer through their complicated channels and straits, knowing not at what moment it may be locked in and crushed. But, not a bit daunted, Queequeg steered us manfully. Now sheering off from this monster directly across our route in advance, now edging away from that, whose colossal flukes were suspended overhead, while all the time Starbuck stood up in the bows, lance in hand, pricking out of our way whatever whales he could reach by short darts, for there was no time to make long ones. Nor were the oarsmen quite idle, though their wonted duty was now altogether dispensed with. They chiefly attended to the shouting part of the business. Out of the way, Commodore, cried one, to great dromedary that of a sudden rose bodily to the surface and for an instant threatened to swamp us. Hard down with your tail there, cried a second to another, which close to our gunwale, seemed calmly cooling himself with his own fan-like extremity.